Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and a trainer at the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And I'm excited that my guest today, Andy Heller, is the author of Take the High Road, Divorce with Compassion for Yourself and Your Family. And although Andy is not a divorce professional, his experience through his own divorce and business background motivated his desire to help people in need of support. Andy presents this guidance and his 46 strategies, tools, and tips that armed with the experience and counsel of divorce expert, including attorneys, parenting coaches, therapists, and mediators, he can help you through your divorce. Thank you, Andy, for agreeing to be a a guest on our show. Catherine, looking forward to it, and thanks for having me. Well, tell us a little bit about your background. What happened that led you to write this, Take the High Road? Sure. So I'm a businessman, as you said in the introduction. I'm not a divorce professional like yourself or a therapist. One of my businesses, I've invested in real estate. I actually wrote two investing books about 20 years ago. I swore I'd never write another book. And so there's two main points I'll leave you with and one great segue to some great questions. The first is that I recognize that I was struggling with figuring out the right thing to do. I'm a pretty compromise-oriented guy, very reasonable thinker, Catherine. I've, I've run successful businesses. As I went through my own divorce, I did have a therapist, and I would go in a number of times. Something would happen. I would say, you know what? This is what happened. Don't worry. I've thought it through, and here's what I'm going to do because I'm, I'm, I'm a reasonable guy. I said, I've thought it through, and I've got the solution. And so she would say with her very... <laughs> competent, therapeutic way. Well, Andy, I'm glad you feel that way, but you're not going to do that. You're going to do the opposite, and here's why. <laughs> so I, I listened to how so many times what I and my gut told me was the right thing to do, Catherine, was actually the wrong thing to do. So that was the first point. The second point is that when I'm stressed, I take notes. It just it helps me. And when my mom was passing away in hospice, my notes became an article that got carried in five newspapers around the country in a Mother's Day after she passed. So I was doing the same thing. I was going through my divorce, and I looked at my notes about two years into it like, oh, my God, I got an outline here for a great book. And by this time, I'd read a bunch of other books, and I felt that there was a gap. So there's a gap where there was no books written by somebody who was not a therapist or a divorce attorney, just an objective divorcee. And I started doing tons of research, interviewing people like yourself, competent divorce attorneys, therapists, family counselors, mediators. So my book is basically a collection of best practices, a roadmap to get into your divorce, taking the high road, doing unilateral things that you could do to make it easier for you to land in a better place and your children and and even your your former spouse. And there's a, a bunch of the books also... Books content also deals with how to co-parent effectively 
after your divorce, particularly if you're in a high conflict situation. So that's, that's my story, why I wrote it. And, you know, this isn't my career, Catherine. I'm just trying to hopefully leave a little bit for people and help them get through a really difficult time and land in a better place. Well, I, I really appreciate your message, Andy. And I want to say that I'm pretty sure that people, our listeners are out there and they're either, they fall into one of two camps about taking the high road. Mm-hmm. Some of the people will be thinking the high road, that is absolutely what I want to do because I'm a good person and I want to follow the high road. And then, and I would say that's 40% of the people. And 60% of the people are thinking, yeah, but if I take the high road, I'm going to get screwed. And I think that is so wrong, actually. I think that when you take the high road, you actually have the opportunity to get a much, much, much better result for yourself your kids and potentially for your ex too. But let me just start with for yourself. What do you think about that? <laughs> Unfortunately, you said it so good. I just not much I can add. <laughs> I think <laughs> you're hundred percent right. <laughs> the only thing I would add to what you said, Catherine, you come from a, a legal perspective and you can probably comment on what I'm about to say. You're right. You are wrong if you believe taking the high road is going to cost you money. It's actually the opposite because there is a relationship between cost, financial cost, forget, forget health costs and the cost on your children's well-being. That's even more important. But there's a direct relationship between financial cost and conflict points. And the more you reduce the, the temperature of your divorce, and reduce the conflict points, the more money you're going to save. And that's the one of the number one things I learned with the interviews that I did and putting this book together. So you're right, it is the opposite. You will not be given anything up if you take the high road. You'll probably be saving yourself a lot of money, potentially tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, and maybe even more. And not even just the money, of course. I mean, it would get to more difficult to measure issues. But even if it costs the same with a better result, wouldn't you rather get the better result with the same money? I mean, there's so many ways to think about this. And I think that a lot of people fall into a kind of scarcity mindset and are then become susceptible to kind of scare tactics from attorneys and, you know, and, and other situations that they feel like they have to be constantly protecting, 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 protecting. But I think, and I suspect you do too, and I'm interested to hear your words, that if you think about it as a strategy for achieving the outcome that you want for yourself instead of making it a cost to the other person, that that is really a much better way to go about it and likely to get you a much better result. What are your thoughts? I think you're 100% right, and my book is sprinkled with a bunch of case studies where I actually give examples of people taking unilateral steps where you're taking the high road irrespective of what your spouse is doing. And I'll give you, I'll give you a great example that, that doesn't necessarily have a monetary connection, but it has a connection to your, your kid's well-being. One of the rules is, all right, don't ever criticize your spouse in the company of your children. So... What if you're in a situation and you're picking up your kids and your former spouse says something derogatory about you in front of your children? How do you handle that with taking the high road? Well, 
One example is you say, well, you know, I'm going to choose not to respond to that, and I hope you have a really good day. And you take the kids and you get out of there. So what you're doing there is you're not allowing yourself to go down to that level. You're not criticizing or responding or arguing in front of your children, which is what you don't want to hear. But you're also not allowing that negative comment to land and impact your children. And what are they going to remember? You know, 10 years later, your kids are not going to remember that exchange, but they are going to remember that mom or dad never said a bad thing about their former spouse. And that's what they're going to remember. And that's going to potentially save you a lot of money because you're, you're, you're helping your children met your not getting damaged by the collapse of your marriage, which is should be the goal of any parent. And if your children can land in a healthier place, they got a much better chance to lead a vibrant life on their own and also to choose partners and enter healthy relationships on their side. I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM in Westchester County every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30. And we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm talking today with Andy Heller about taking the high road in your divorce, divorcing with compassion. And Andy, what are some of the business skills? You say you're a businessman. So what are some business skills that can help the divorcing people with their divorce and thinking about the co-parenting in the future? That's great. Well, let me talk about one in your and your camp negotiations as you try to get that MSA agreed to. And then if we have time, we can also talk about some business tips in the communication space. So clearly sometimes it could be difficult to get a divorce agreed to, uh, get the, get your former spouse to agree to an MSA. All right. Because and communication. Just for our has, listeners, for, I think what you're talking about is a marital separation agreement or marital settlement agreement. So correct. That's the correct. Underlying so you're trying, that you're likely to be signing. Correct. Correct. Because when you think about it, in many cases, communication as at its low point with your spouse and you're with an attorney, let's say you've got a great attorney like Catherine and you're just not able, <laughs> you don't know what your former partner wants to get a deal done. So there's a business skill, a, a tip, a negotiation tip where you present two offers to your former spouse, your spouse. One can be maybe leans more towards support. The other leans more towards custodial time. And even if one of the offers is not accepted based on how they answer can really help your attorney get a deal done much faster because then you'll have some clarity of what you need to focus on. And again, sometimes you got it only can, can control yourself, but this is a unilateral step that you can take that can sometimes be really helpful with your attorney getting focused and understanding where he or she needs to move the negotiation so you can get a deal done in a couple of months instead of a couple of years. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, one thing that I think is really important is to understand what's really important to the other side so that you can give them something that they really want that's not too costly to you, right, to, to my client. Yeah. And so we can get work toward, I don't love this expression, but a kind of win-win situation, right? And if they, I think what you're saying is if you present two offers and then you analyze the response, that response will give you insight into what's important to them. Is that right? I couldn't have said it any better. Absolutely, Catherine. Yeah. And rather rather than put pressure on them to, to withhold 
something that they want. If you say, well, we could give you this in exchange for that, that being something that you really want, that's a way to work toward a, a resolution that's really, I think, from from a business perspective, it gets a deal that does something for everybody. Yes? Exactly. Exactly. And by, by presenting two offers, you're actually using a very common sales strategy. So if a client, for example, you're trying to get a client and you present them an offer from your company, well, they will naturally be comparing your offer to competitors. But if you come to the client and say, here's a, option A and option B, both utilizing my firm, the client will then shift to, well, explain to me the difference between these two proposals. I want to understand that. And subconsciously, the client has shifted from comparing your offer to the other to the, which of your the two offers they prefer. So in, in this environment, instead of there being another competitor, the options are accepting your offer or saying no. Instead, the, the client will shift to, well, which of the proposals your former spouse will shift to? Which of the proposals do I more align with? And that answer, the response, will really be a tremendous benefit to your attorney to hopefully closing the deal out in, in a couple months. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, Andy Heller, I, when you said at the top of the show that you're, think of yourself as a compromiser and as a reasonable guy. Do you remember that? Yes. And, you know, I want to say something that I have a question for you about, about a compromiser person. And a lot of, a lot of very successful businessmen such as yourself are compromisers when it comes to this kind of thing. And, and I think there's one real worry about that. And, and let me just ask you what you think about this. And my concern when I am working with someone like, like as you describe yourself, is that a compromise will be put out too early, right? And so sometimes people will think, all right, well, I'm in this difficult situation. I'm getting divorced. It's painful. And I think I have a pretty good sense of what's important to my spouse and I have a pretty good sense of what's important to me. So I'm going to make a proposal that takes into account where we're both coming from as my first kind of opening round and I'm pretty sure that my spouse is going to think it's reasonable because I'm coming from a compromising place and I think I understand where where that person is coming from. So, you know, they'll just agree and then we can be done. And that is never how it happens because the spouse always takes it as like, okay, great first offer. Let's negotiate from there. And I think the strategy of putting out two proposals is a way around that. But do you think of that as a, as a risk for a compromiser and, and what should they do about it? Let me answer the last question first, what you should do about it. I, I don't necessarily think that's a risk. Again, in, in my book, I focus more on the strategy of presenting a couple different offers to get your spouse to kind of show their cards or their hand, which buttons need to be pushed to get the deal done. And that's very, very effective. So my book really focuses more on that tip. But in terms of what I think, a, a tactic to make that work, is you put a time limit on it, okay? So, okay, here's a compromise, but this compromise is contingent upon us having our agreement signed, sealed, and delivered by the end of September, okay? After that, it's off the table. So it can be very effective to allow the process to speed up. So even if that, even if your spouse looks at it as a first offer, the fact that you can get your agreement done faster Everybody wins. Yeah, so, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so that would be my, my way to offset that concern, which is probably a fair concern. 
but put a time limit. This is an offer based on a, a quick and simple and easy and painless MSA agreement. So what are some strategies for communication, do you think, when you want to take the high road, but this is a high-conflict situation? What are some things people can do to deal with that? Great. I'll give you one of my favorite tips that's in one of my chapters on communication. So again, I'll, I'll stress, you can only control yourself. You cannot control your former spouse. Okay? So these are unilateral steps you can take in a high-conflict situation. So there's there's a two of my favorite tips I talk about in the book is one utilizing a business school a tool called the time card. The time card basically involves putting issues into buckets, things that have to be respond to right now, and things that can have a delayed response. And this reduces the number of things you're communicating with your spouse. That's one. Number two, some situations with children solve themselves. So if you push it down the road, it may no longer be an issue in a week. And the third and most important is that we human beings, particularly when we're emotionally off, this is common during divorce, we make better decisions when we have time to think about it. So that's a really helpful, it's it's actually a business tool called the time card, and we recommend to rope this in and involve this in your divorce communications. One of my favorite is also a business tool. So if you think about it this way, Catherine, very often in high conflict situations, the answer is going to often be, how should I say this? In a lot of the interviews I've done with divorcees, he or she would say, if I said left, she said right. If I said up, she said down. <laughs> Whatever I offered, the response I got was the opposite. And that is the situation reality for a lot of high-conflict divorces for a period of time until emotions become less raw. So one of the skills to deal with that is never divulge what your preference is. Always Adjust your communication instead of saying, for example, in the email, hey, um, little Johnny doesn't want to go to ballet anymore. I want him to start basketball. Well, the answer to that is probably going to be no, but you change the texture of your communications in email, verbally and text, and always define things in terms of a problem and defer to your spouse for the solution. So, for example, taking that example, say, hey, I'm getting a lot of backlash in my home about ballet. Johnny doesn't want to go, and I'm sure you're getting some in your home. What do you suggest? Do you have any ideas? And the hope with this strategy, Catherine, is to slowly, with two or three exchanges, to move your spouse towards a resolution that you're okay with, but allowing your spouse to own the answer. And this is very helpful in high-conflict divorces. It doesn't work every time. But it does work a lot. And again, in this chapter, we talk about working the skill of how to change the the texture of your communications. So you're always talking in the form of a question, appealing to your spouse instead of saying, this is what we should do. And you'll find that this is very, very effective to get into a result that you're okay with and allowing your former spouse to feel like, he or she got, got the best of you because it was their suggestion that you agreed to as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues here on WBOX 1460 AM. And we're bringing you the information and thoughtful dialogue that you need to divorce with dignity. And I'm talking today with Andy Heller, and we're talking about taking the high road. And 
if people want to learn more about you or your book, how can they do that, Andy Heller? Sure. Well, my contact information is all over the book. So I, my first suggestion would be get the book on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. But if you want to write this down now, you can reach me through Andy at takethehighroaddivorce.com. Great. And so, Andy, what are some other strategies or business strategies or tips that you have that you think are ah, unique to your book? Sure. One is perspective. So one of the things we talk about in the book is a divorcee needs to view a divorce as a marathon and not a sprint, Catherine. So I'll give you a great example with a divorced dad that I interviewed. So the divorced dad did a lot of travel and an involved father when he was in town. He got divorced. Okay, so he had to adjust his business travel. And based on his commitment to his children, he deserved the 50 custody. But he recognized that the children were used to being alone with mom when he traveled. They were never used to being alone with dad. And he needed time to adjust his schedule. So he and his spouse got with a co-parenting counselor and they came up with a structure where out of the gate, he'd have 30% custody. And as long as certain thresholds were met, somewhere between nine and 15 months, slowly he would have his 50% custody. And it was all based on, the feedback was based on the children's therapist, how the children were adjusting. So he agreed to this. And as it turned out, he had his 50% custody not on the high end on 15 months, but on the low end on nine, a nine months. So this is a great example of patience to give yourself the time to achieve the goals and considering what's best for your children, number one, and being fair to your spouse and also what you feel is fair for you. Had this person asked for 50% out of the gate before the kids were used to being alone with him, that would have not been in the best interest of his children. One last tidbit from that interview, he said the first night the kids were alone in his house, the young son had a meltdown. He said it was it was an 11 out of 10. <laughs> and he wanted to go to mom's, he was upset, and, and the dad was so hurt because he, he made the place, he made the home so comfortable for the kids, but he realized the kid wasn't responding to what the dad did or didn't do, he was reacting to the fact that he just wanted to be in a home with both parents. And he, he wasn't used to being alone with dad. So being patient about what you feel you deserve and you what you want to achieve and understand that it's a process. It takes time. That can be in your children's best interest and it can ultimately be in your best interest. You know, Andy, I think it's so interesting that in my experience, a lot of parenting relationships are really worsened by hurt feelings on the part of a parent in response to a child's response to the separation and the change in the parenting structure. And I think what you're suggesting is that being patient and understanding that it's really not about not loving you, it's about a resisting a painful change and, and that a strategy to get through that and, and staying the course is I don't know. It makes sense. It does. And one of the sec big section of my book talks about what your children are going through and understanding that. And that can be really helpful for you. So that story that I just gave you, to me, there's so many points to take away from that. This dad did nothing wrong. His crime was he was not the mom. And the kids were 
not used to being alone with him and they didn't like the situation and that's all fine and that's okay. So it does take intentionally kind of, I don't say talking to yourself, but recognizing what your kids are going through. So when you see these meltdowns and you see these issues, it's really not you. It's just that your kids are just adjusting and it's not easy on them. And your job is to be a shoulder to lean on. Your job is to make it as easy as possible for them. And also, hopefully, if you can get them some therapy also so that they can have a confidence to talk to that's not you or your spouse. I think that's great advice. So in our last minute, Andy, if you have a, we have listeners out there who are just in the beginning of the divorce process. What, what is your advice to them as to how to get started on the high road? Fantastic. The number one thing I can say is don't try and do this alone. How you, you surround yourself and your children will help you land in a better place. Read some good books like mine. You got to find yourself an attorney who has, who can really guide you, who you can listen to, who you respect. And please consider finding a therapist for yourself for a couple of years because it's going to be pretty traumatic. But most importantly, getting a therapist for your children. These are steps you can take. A last thing is to get a co-parent counselor if you have children to help you and your spouse come up with a co-parenting plan that has your, your kids' interests paramount rather than yours. So awesome. don't do it alone, and this can help you. We're out of time. Thank you so much for being my guest on Divorce Dialogue. My pleasure.